Baptist Church. My name is Joe Smith, and it's not Mormon. Um, I, am, I am just honored to have the opportunity to be here to share a word with you today. And uh, in fact, I'll go ahead and tell you, we're going to be going where we left off the last few weeks in Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, that in the pew Bible in front of you, that's on page 978. And my wife's study Bible is on page 1796, which is 92.1% of the way through her Bible. You know why I did that? Because I want to be able to say, hey, about most of the way back to the right side of your Bible, you're going to find this verse of Scripture. I'm going to give you a little bit of time to look for that. And while you're doing it, I'm going to tell you a little bit about myself uh, and my family. Tracy is my wife. We've been married for 30 years. Um, she is not my better half. She is the better part of who I am. And I am blessed uh, to say that God brought us together in college. Uh, we both went to Stephen F. Austin State University down in Nacogdoches. Axon Jacks. Thankfully, I do not have John Weinbrenner here now to point at and say, don't say anything because he went to Stephen F., or he went to Sam Houston State. We didn't get along. So, but Tracy and I met there, uh, got married there, and have three wonderful kids. Um, I just saw two of them walk in a second ago. I know where the other one is, and he'll be here just in a little bit. Uh, our oldest graduated high school while we were off in New Orleans, while I was at seminary, and uh, which kind of gives you a hint as to how Scott and I think we are much alike. In fact, it hurts Melinda, pains Melinda, to have found out that Scott is a lion otter, and yes, I am too. And so you got that authority stuff, and oh, hey, squirrel, and it just goes. That's who we are. <clears throat> but we think a lot alike because we spent time at New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. The guys that he went to seminary with were the guys that I called professor. And yes, sir. He said, hey, let's go get coffee. And I said, hey, I'll turn that into you tomorrow. So it's the kind of thing that went on down there. Uh, my kids, our oldest is Madison. She graduated uh, while we were down there in uh, 2011. She went to school down in New Orleans. That's when we had moved back over into the state of Texas. We are born and native Texas, Texans. We spent our foreign missionary service in Louisiana because once you cross that state line, whole other world. <laughs> Madison uh, graduated in 2015 from college. She came back to Texas to join the rest of the family. She and my son, Cal, uh, who graduated here in 2014 from Wimberley High School, uh, share an apartment in Austin right now. That may not be the case this coming after this next lease is done. I think they've just about had enough of each other. And uh, he graduated here in 2014 and said, you know what, it would be a waste of your money and my time if I went to college. And uh, I firmly agreed that that would have been the case. And he has been adulting ever since. They are making us proud. They're living in Austin right now. And uh, Madison's here with a friend of hers, Cameron Hardy, and it's nice to see that they've made this trip this morning. Jenna is our youngest. She graduated in 2016 from Wembley High School. And is down at Stephen F. Stephen F. Austin. Again, Axel Jacks. She's her third generation lumberjack. Uh, my dad had gone to school there. We went to school there. Now she is. And she is making us proud as well. If you don't recognize the face, don't worry. Not a lot of people have. We've been here for over a year and involved in ministry here. Like I said, we've been in the community for a while. We've been doing ministry at different places and doing different things. Um, <clears throat> If you don't recognize the face, you may recognize the voice. 
This is your audience participation moment. On Friday nights in football stadium, you may hear that pass from JoJo Weeks to Kate Stover, good for another Texan. See there? There you go. Yeah, see, I did that with you guys. With the other services, I did the whole band thing because I didn't know what kind of response I was going to get. I knew I'd get that from you guys. But yeah, I've been the voice of the Texans up there for a while. I've worked with KWVH Radio in the mornings, do a morning show, and, and uh, work with, uh, on Saturday mornings. I've gotten to meet a lot of our kids, uh, interviewing them after their projects and all the stuff they have going on at school. And we do two hours on Saturday uh, from 10 to noon at KWVH. I love doing that, but that's not the thing that I'm most, most proud of right now. And it's not even pride. It's just overwhelming sense of peace and excitement. Right now, I'm working with the college students at First Baptist Church. Late last year, a bunch of parents who have kids who are going to college, but they haven't gone far off. And some of them are living here in town and said, hey, look, we need to have something at First Baptist that's going on. Sean Civils got with some parents, and they started to make the decision. And we said, hey, we want to be a part of that. And so right now we meet with college students. I get to meet with them every Wednesday night. And man, I love those kids. They just, and that's the first time, guys, that's the first time they've heard me say that. I've said a lot of things to them in the last few weeks, but that's the first time they've said, I love them. And I enjoy our opportunities. They keep us young. And uh, man, we have a group me text thing. Let me tell you something. Find the way to turn the notifications off. Wow, some of the stuff that we get. In any case, that's what they are great young men and women of God, and I'm excited about being, being able to serve with them. We're here today because we've been talking about how we build lives that look like Jesus. And we've been, this year is the year of 2018, is the year of hope for First Baptist Church. This series that we're going through right now that Scott has brought up is called Hope for Us. And today we talk about the hope for renewed relationships. There's hope for renewed relationships for us. But we need to, when we start that out, we need to start thinking about what it means for us to be the church. A while ago, I intentionally said, we are glad that you joined us as church today, not at church. This building is not the church the worship services are not the church. Our Sunday school classes and our small groups aren't the church. You and I are the church. The church is the movement of God within the hearts of his people. The Jesus that's in you connects with the Jesus within me, and that's the church. And Scott said it so many times, he's, he said so many different things, but when he did the, here's the steeple, here's the church thing, oh like, yeah, we, we really messed that up. We literally messed some kids up because the church are you and I. What, what establishes us, the church? Look at this verse up here. This is Matthew chapter, eight, uh, chapter 13. It's kind of funny because Jonathan didn't know that I'm preaching this. He's up here talking about this very moment in scripture. In Matthew chapter 13 or 16, it says, when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? And the disciples turned to him and said, well, some say that you are John the Baptist. Others say that you are Elijah. Still others say that you are Jeremiah or one of the prophets. 
Jesus turns to him and says, well, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter, my favorite, and here's why, never at a loss for words and never takes the time to think about what he says. <laughs> Jumps up and says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus stops right there and says, blessed are you, Simon, son of John, for flesh and blood hasn't taught you this, but my father who is in heaven. From this point forward, you'll be known as Peter, Petra, rock. And it's upon this rock, I will build my church. We have friends who go to different denominations and spend different, their time at different churches who will say, we can track our leadership now, our current leadership, all the way back, their lineage, all the way back to Peter. Because Peter is the head of the church because of this verse of scripture. Guess what? Peter ain't starting anything. What Peter said is the start of everything. It's not Peter who's the beginning of the church. It's the confession of Peter. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. That's where we become part of the church. That's at that moment that we accept the fact that we are not able to do it on our own. We can't have a right relationship with God until we come to the point where we say, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. We are sealed in that moment by the Holy Spirit. And that the Holy Spirit will continue to work on us throughout our life and reveal Jesus to us. That's where it all starts. The church is made up of the genuine followers of Jesus Christ, those who have made the confession. Now, here's something you need to hear. Whatever state you are in, God is still at work within you, and his Holy Spirit is still at work on you. Last week, Pastor Scott challenged us. He said, if believing in Jesus is enough to be right with God, do I believe enough? If you've made that confession, yes, you believe enough. God will work through the rest of it with you. And these scriptures that we'll be dealing with today, although the confession is the start, this is the part of how do we live to look more like Jesus every day. And here's where Pastor Scott left off last week in verse 24 of Ephesians chapter four. Put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. Well, who does that sound like? Put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created. Who? Yeah, no. Who, who does that look like to us? Jesus, exactly. So we are to take off the old self, put away the old self, have the mind of Christ, and be more like him every day. That is our work. Paul in Galatians in chapter three said that we have clothed ourselves with Jesus Christ. So our task as followers of Jesus is to look like Jesus to those around us in the church and those in the world around us. We are exchanging our lives essentially for his. I'm not talking about some mystical ooh kind of thing. I'm saying every day we're making a determination to be like Jesus, to look like him. And it was said by Luke in the book of Acts about the early church, way down there in Acts chapter two, verses 42 through 47, it kind of goes down. It says, the church was praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day, those who were being saved. They were being looked at differently by their community because of the way they acted. Something happened in their lives. The confession took place and something changed within their lives that they were finding favor with God. 
They looked at, the community looked at the people differently. They were a force of good. They were unified. They were together, working together on different things. They were loving and compassionate and helpful. Don't we want that said about us as the people of God? Don't we want, instead of Christian being something that you kind of want to be shunned away from and seen as a bad thing, which in the first century church, by the way, the word Christian meant little Christ and it meant a bad thing. Christian should be something that is said about, yeah, that's the word they used to describe us, but we are actually genuine followers of Jesus Christ and we're going to look like him and we're going to live like him and our church is going to reflect that within our lives. Something that people would be drawn to. So that's the connection. Erwin Raphael McManus shared something that's important to us about the relationship between following God and our acts as individuals. Jesus views a person's claim to love God and a person's actions toward others as inseparable. If I say I love God, guess what? I need to treat people differently. I can't do that within myself. You know why? Because I get mad about stuff. I get frustrated about stuff. I get disappointed, and we're going to cover that in a minute. And guys, I'm going to tell you, I may step on your toes this morning. Believe me, I've been stumbling over this my whole week on my own. I have put my heel to my own foot many times this week while I've been going through this. Paul was offering us in the next few verses instructions on what we should look like when we begin to look like Jesus. So, are you ready? We're going to talk about it. We're going to blow through this. A lot of material in a very short period of time. But I want us to make sure that when we walk out of here today that we're, we're thinking about how can I look more like Jesus. Let's pray. Father, hide me behind your word and behind your son. And the things that we share here impact our lives. Father, may your Holy Spirit go before them and precede everything Move on our hearts. Father, when we walk away today, may we consider putting away all the things of the old self and have the mind of Jesus so that when we walk through our day, we connect with one another. Father, that people look at it as a good thing to have interacted with us. May we be more like your son every day. These things we lift up in your son's precious name. It's for his sake. Amen. Verse 25. I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to give you a, I'm going to give you a lesson right now. This is a seminary lesson. New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary's very best statement to you is, if you ever see the words, behold, or therefore, something important is about to be said. Congratulations, you have your degree pretty much how it felt. Hey, therefore, or behold, something cool. Starts off, Paul is saying, therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. He's writing this, this, he's writing this to the church, and he's telling them, quit lying. <laughs> Doesn't that seem like what he's saying? Quit fabricating things. Tell the truth. Be honest. Tell the whole truth. Don't omit facts. I'm going to hit you with something right here, and I know it. I used to, go, I was pastor at a small church, a really small church in a very small town. 
where at times, if there were disagreements between the people in the place, one side of the family, one side of the folks would sit on one side of the church, the others would sit on the other, and then whoever you agreed with, you would sit on that side with them. Yeah, not functional. But there were times that they would come in and everybody would shake hands and be all, woohoo, everything's great. Praise God. Love you, Jesus. And inside seething. You know what they were doing? Falsehood. Their faces were the painted on faces that I carried in on Sunday. And I wasn't going to live like that the rest of the week. I was going to trash talk you two till Saturday night. Sometimes we've just got to say enough is enough and say that was the way that we were before we made the confession. Before we said Jesus is the Son of God. Before we recognized the importance that he is the Christ, the, the, the Son of the living God. This is the way I was. I'm going to stop it. I'm going to start doing this. It says speak truth one to another. We can go with what the truth is. We can talk about Jesus lived a perfect life. He was the Son of God. He lived a perfect life. He was he was, uh, excuse me, crucified and buried and resurrected. And that's the truth that leads us to the cross or leads us from the cross into a right relationship with God. That's truth. It sure is. You know what? Sometimes the truth is just, no, I don't think that looks good. Sometimes the truth is just the truth. It's just being honest. You don't have to be brutal. I have done that before. Don't. I do have a wife. I have disagreed with colors of color schemes brutally and I have paid for it with having to paint it all by myself. <laughs> you know what happens when we don't tell the truth one to another? There's no trust. If we don't have trust with one another, how can we get along within this body of believers that we're supposed to have such an open relationship with? You know, in the Bible, we're told, confess our sins one to another so that we might be healed. We are told to confess our sins to one another. When was the last time you told someone else what your sin was? We don't do it. And the reason we don't do it is why? There's not a trust. I can't trust that what I say isn't gonna walk out of this building and walk out into the street. I can't trust, and it's not your fault it's mine. I've built that barrier up. I'm afraid of that, that my stuff might get out in the street. And when we, when we tell falsehoods one to another, even the smallest things of, I promise I'll be there, and then I don't show up, that's enough to disturb the trust. I'm going to tell you that on April the 2nd, I had a moment of that trust building. It was awesome. I was here at the church building. I was here up at the offices. And I walk in and I borrowed a book from Scott and I looked and he had some fishing equipment sitting up next to his desk and I'm like, what? Come on, man. We're in hill country. Fishing equipment, really? He's walking out the same time I walk out. He's carrying it with him. And I said, well, where are you going? He goes, I'm going out here to the pond. There's some big fish out there. Guys, I grew up in East Texas. Lake Fork, come on, big fish. Don't be talking to me about big fish in a pond out here. He goes, no, no, there's some big fish out there. I'm, Come on. I am doubting my pastor's sincerity. I'm doubting that he's not exaggerating to some degree. At 357, I received the following picture. (Laughter) 
By the way, you don't have to miss him. He'll be back next week, and there he is now. <laughs> he was rubbing it in my face, yes. <laughs> I know that. I'm a big enough boy to, to understand that. I sent him a note back and said, man, that thing is big. But it was a moment for me that built up a sense of trust. I know now that when Scott says, hey, I'm going fishing, I'm going to catch some big fish. There are big fish out there. He's really trying to catch some big fish. But it also means that I can trust him to tell me the truth. He means what he says. He says what he means. You know, it's against the character of God for God to lie. You know whose character it is and what nature it is for lies to be told? In our old self, who we have been in the past, before we said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So we are supposed to be moving from this towards something better and telling the truth. But many times we get stuck and it's easier sometimes to tell the falsehood. We are instructed to let that go. Now, by the way, there are a lot of things, a lot of reasons I could leave that out there, but I just earned some big brownie points by putting his picture up there on a Sunday. He's not here with a big, huge fish. I, I can't even stand him smiling when he's holding it like that. <laughs> Verses 26 and 27. Be angry, yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. This should be great news to us. We are being told, be angry. Isn't that awesome? You're allowed to be angry. It's okay when you see injustice. In fact, Dr. Gary Chapman said that anger really is just a passion for justice. So when you see injustice and when you see meanness or wickedness or misconduct, that's okay for us to have that anger stirred. That's what Jesus was having and that's what was going on with him when he overturned the tables in the temple. It's a righteous indignation. Which is to say, it's okay for us to be angry about the, God that, the things that God is angry about. That's not sinful. Be angry about the things that are wrong. What we, be, what we are angry about, however, and I'm not sure they kind of qualify, is a stolen parking place at Walmart my order getting wrong at Burger King, and any time I have to drive in traffic in Austin or at 7.45 in the morning coming down past the high school <laughs> during the week. I was, I was so happy that they had a day out of school here recently that I was like, woohoo, things are great. I'll tell you that I don't enjoy... <laughs> I go to the radio station on Saturday mornings to, to try to get there about 9 o'clock. On Saturdays, guess what day I don't like? Market days. I am not a fan. Sometimes it's what we're angry about, and those are our disappointments and our frustrations, and they shouldn't happen. And, and we're told, do not sin. Yet, do not sin. Sometimes it's about what, what we're mad about, and sometimes it's the way that we express it. We explode on the kids when we shouldn't. We say some sort of mean or hurtful words to the spouse. We have cross words with coworkers. And then when it really gets out of hand, we can have moments where we are physically or emotionally traumatizing other people. 
It is a misappropriation of emotion and is a bad expression. And it is sinful. It's something that we need to stop. It says, do not let the sun set on your anger. Deal with it. And let me tell you a quick story, and I know Scott's told one just like this before. I need to get it out to you. I worked as the, the campus police office at the uh, seminary when I was down there. <clears throat> I got a call one day. <laughs> got a call one day early on and said, hey, look, we got two men scuffling out in front of the preschool education center. Great. We're setting a fantastic example, aren't we? One of them was an off-duty campus police officer. Awesome. We're really doing good. By the time I get across campus and get there, the thing had already broken up, and uh, my mentor was there. He had already sent them on their way. And so I drove over to the offended person's house, and, and open, you know, they opened the door. I took a statement from them about what had happened. Of course, it's usually something harrowing, like our, our daughters weren't getting along about something, and we got in a fight in the parking lot that started it. And I was asked, what are you going to do about it? I said, I'm going to get y'all's information. I'm going to get their information. I'm going to turn it in to chief and let chief deal with it. Well, do you need to, what do you need to do with him? Do you need to go sit down with him? And I said, yeah, do y'all want to go and be a part of that? Well, we just want to make sure that you're treating this right. That was the wife, by the way. I said, sure. So I went over and I took the statement of the other officer and it's the same kind of thing that the guy had said turned it into chief, and chief handled it. I, I had nothing to do with it from that point on. Two years later, the guy comes to me, the, not the officer, but the other guy comes and says, hey, I've been hired by the International Mission Board, and I'm going on foreign mission service to an undisclosed Middle Eastern country. He goes, I need some pictures. I said, fantastic. I'll be glad to take those for you. I said, in fact, you'll need them for the entire family. Bring them on in. We'll get them all done at one time. Nope. What do you mean? My wife is still angry with you. Two years. I saw this woman every working day for two years. Smiled. Hi, hey, how you doing? Everything's fine. She would see me. She would go home and vent to her husband about, he was there again today. It's terrible. They didn't treat us right. And I asked him right then, I said, can you go get her and let's deal with this right now? And she came to the office and sat down for a minute and she just let it out. And I apologized from the bottom of my heart and let her know I wish that there had been more and I wish I had known sooner because she had dragged that around and pierced her heart for two years. This is simple. If you don't let it go, then the devil gets an opportunity to get into your heart and create bitterness and strife and contention. And guys, I'm telling you, dealing with it when the wound is fresh and the stuff is there is the time to get it done. It is, yes, it's, it's difficult to have the confrontation, but it's better to get it done now than hold on to it. It's better. And that's what we're being, it's what we're being told to do. It's the beginnings of bitterness for us. And that leads to destruction of our relationships and hope for our unity within our body of Christ. This next verse says, 
that we, he who steals should steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he can have something to share with one who has a need. That seems fairly easy, doesn't, doesn't it? This, you have your stuff, this guy has his stuff, and you shouldn't go take his stuff away from him. Don't steal. We were once those that would speak in falsehoods, and we are those that get angry and misappropriate the expressions and the emotions, and we hold on to it, and we steal. That's who we were. Remember that? But we said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. We are supposed to be moving away from that to be more like Jesus, which is, hey, I'm not going to do anything other than tell you the truth. Oh, by the way, I'm angry with you. Can we get this settled and out of the way? And instead of taking your stuff, hey, if you need something, let me know. I'm going to be working to make stuff better so that I can give to those who have need. Who does that sound like? It sounds just like Jesus. It sounds just like Jesus. And if we're moving away from who we were in the natural state after a confession to be more like him, that's where we're moving an entire life. Scripture speaks about the worth of our value and hard work. It says, whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord because that's where you're going to gain your reward. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. But if we do all of our work as we do for the Lord, doesn't it follow that we should respond appropriately? Catch this. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word that is good for the edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. The word unwholesome is sapros. It's a Greek word. It was never used to talk about speech before Paul started writing this. It was used to describe, catch this, Rotten fruit and vegetables and spoiled meat. Did that give you an idea of what kind of words he was talking about, what kind of verbiage he's speaking about? Stuff that is corrupt, it's foul, it has a stench to it. It serves absolutely no useful purpose. So he's saying that about our words, and you know what we're talking about. Your off-color jokes our profanity, our vulgarity, our vile stories, our abusive speech. You can lump lies in there with it. Let no unwholesome words. So we're people who used to say unwholesome words. Now we're being told not to. And that we're supposed to speak in a way that exudes grace to others and it shares with them. And let me tell you something that's really neat about this. When properly fitted for the occasion, God can use your words as his instrument of grace. It can, in that specific moment, it can extend to a person what exactly they need for that moment. And sometimes, no words need to be said. Football season this year. I've been working with the kids. I've been doing interviews with them after every game. We're making a big run, doing the playoffs, and we play West Orange Start, and we don't have a good game. We end up on the bottom side of it. And I go down there a little bit early, and someone's saying, well, who are you going to talk to? What interviews are you going to do? And I said, I'm just not sure. Just not sure what I'm going to do. And I get down on the field, and I start looking at the kids, and you see they're just brokenhearted. I put my bag down. 
And I walked up to those kids and I've grown to, grown to have a really good relationship with them over the last four years. I just patted them on the back. Hey guys, good work. You made us proud. We love you. I know you're hurting. It's okay. One kid after another. They asked me the next morning, how many interviews do you have? I got nothing. Absolutely nothing. We're going to walk through this together. We're just going to feel the pain together and kind of walk through it. I had a few phone calls and some folks that called in. I talked to a couple coaches afterwards so we get the, the big feel, the big picture of what was going on. But you know what? There was no need to say anything other than just pat them on the back and tell them that we we're proud of them. Sometimes in, in what we're doing with people in the church, they don't need to hear a bunch of stuff from us. They just need to know that we love them like Jesus does. Speak the right words at the right time, and you'll be more like Christ. When we speak poorly, those former ways that we have, they cause fractures with our relationships to others and our relationship with God. Now, here's, impo- here's an important thing. It says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. When you make your confession, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, the Holy Spirit comes in and seals you for the day of redemption. That day will come when God will come and you, Jesus will return and you will are sealed for that day. That's great news for us. It's fantastic. We know. We make that confession of faith Profession of faith, that's, that's heading us in the right direction. Here's the problem. Once we make that confession, if we continue to live inconsistent lives, it hurts God. It grieves the Holy Spirit. Grieving is such a big word. Hurting is not deep enough. There's pain. There's offense. <coughs> Excuse me. When we live an inconsistent life of the sealed life, we are grieving the Holy Spirit. Making, making God say, why, why did we do this in the first place? Did you really mean it? Actually causing the, the opportunity to question about what we really believe. And are we really living what we believe? The Holy Spirit reveals Christ to us works within us to lead us to live like the decision that we have made. Our lives are to reflect that decision. It's an exterior change of an interior movement within our hearts. And we are to live differently. But when we live the same way that we used to believe, it grieves God. And that leads us to Paul's admonition to all believers. This is kind of a neat deal. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you all, along with all malice. Did you know that malice is the underpinning for all those words? The intentional, angry, bitter stuff, malice is the bottom of it. For bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and slander, there's an intentionality that's underneath it, and that's malice. But watch this. Go ahead and roll the next slide, the next the verse, because I want you to hear this. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. If bitterness is our attitude in, in speech, 
If it's the, the way that we hold on to stuff and we, we are bitter and deep-rooted with it, what is the opposite of it? Being kind. The opposite of bitterness is being kind. If we have wrath, which wrath is harshness or a brutal attitude, hard speech that we are saying and sharing with others, guess what the opposite of it is? Being tender-hearted. When we have anger, which is lasting resentment, and the stuff we hold on to, what's the opposite of that? Being forgiven. Being forgiving. You see, slander is evil speaking about others. It's giving insinuations about others. It's, it's like we surmise that there's some, civil, some sort of evil intent within them. And when we start saying that and doing that, we live just as we used to do. We're trying to get ahead under our own spirit and our own abilities. But that's no longer who we are. We are the people. We are the people of the confession. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And since we are moving from this, we are to be moving a different direction, which means we need to be kind and tenderhearted and forgiving. Sounds like Jesus, doesn't it? moving from one to another. Now, where does this give us hope for our relationships, hope for renewed relationships? What does this say to us in the bigger picture? I want to tell you that this is the essence of God's plan for us. His plan is to take you from where you once were to take you to where we need to be. Erwin Raphael McManus said this, and I love this, this quote, in a balanced system, the church has a proper relationship with God and his people have a proper relationship to one another and to an unbelieving world. In a proper balanced system, the church has a proper relationship with God and because of that, we have a right relationship with each other as the church and with the people outside the church in an unbelieving world. We're moving away from what we were, moving toward what God would want us to be, to look like Jesus every day. And that's exciting because as we see that happen, that renews our relationships. Are there things here today that we're thinking about, things in our own life? And I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit in just a minute when we start, when we start praying, I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to just convict us of things that are going on in our lives that we really need to clear up. Spots of anger. Places where we're not quite telling the truth. I would love to get us to a point, and I would love we would, we, that we would see First Baptist Wimberley get to a point where we could say, yeah, we're confessing our sins one to another in our small groups. We're, man, we're, we're living the Bible out. We're trying to look like Jesus every day. Because I want to tell you something, folks. Wimberley is not big enough. Wimberley is our first step. It's the first step of seeing a redeemed people moving toward being like Jesus every day. But we've got to live it and we've got to look like it and we've got to be the people that have favor with the world around them. And that happens when we are being transparent, when we've put aside the old person and becoming like Jesus on a daily basis. On a, at a day-to-day -day basis. 
So where is it today? Where is it for you today? What has God laid on your heart? What is it that you just need to get rid of so that you can move from where you were and become more like you're supposed to be? I can tell you. For me, and my kids will be the first to tell you. And perhaps it's time to go and say, look, I'm sorry, I, I said some things in the heat of a moment. I was short with you and harsh. Maybe it's time to go say to the wife, you know, I, I, I did, I was harsh, and I, I was not clearly dealing with the issues that I had at the time, and it's more wrathful discussion than I had. I should let that go, and I'm sorry. And get that out of the way. Deal with it now so that I don't give the devil an opportunity to dig in deeper and get a foothold. What is it for you? If you want to have the hope for a renewed relationship, you're going to get these things right with your, your family members. Those are your family. And you're going to get them right with your friends. Some of them are here in the church and you really need to get some things right. There's been an awkwardness maybe between you because you know something's not quite right. Go get it done. And they're your acquaintances. Those that you've shared something with, maybe it's inappropriate, maybe it wasn't the right time, that you really want to go back to and say, listen, that's not who I am. I need to apologize. I need to be better than that. And then be that person. Be like Jesus and be like Jesus to them.